particularly in China. I have to confess that I come to you with something of an identity crisis. My father was born in Glasgow, is an Englishman. My mother, mother was born in America. I was born in China. Our three children were born in Taiwan, and now we're living in Singapore. Uh, our kids uh, went to a Chinese school during their grade school days and uh, enjoyed it immensely. In fact, one day as I was taking them off to their Chinese school, my daughter Signa turned to me and she said, Daddy, don't drive us up to the school gate. I said, why not? Oh, she said, I don't want my Chinese classmates to see that my father is a foreigner. And I looked at her with her golden hair, and I said, Signa, who do you think you are? Well, obviously she thought she was a Chinese, and this daddy, well, he was something else. <laughs> Actually, we have a lot, of, uh, a lot of fun in the Chinese church. Uh, uh, I was in Hong Kong a few years uh, after that. I was preaching in Mandarin and uh, enjoying it immensely. And at the close of the service, a Chinese sister came up to the, the uh, pastor's wife and she said, why has this Chinaman grown to look like this? I thought that was a real compliment, actually. In the Chinese church, we, uh, we, we, uh, we have a lot of, a lot of jokes. Uh, we talk about uh, bananas. Do you know what bananas are? Uh, well, I'll tell you if you don't know. Uh, bananas are my Chinese friends from Taiwan and Hong Kong and Singapore that have come to America and they've stayed too long. The peel is yellow, but when you open it up, it's white inside. When I heard that for the first time, I was really, la I was really laughing and they said, don't you laugh, don't you know that you were a hard-boiled egg? Something a little more serious. We've got uh, some books out here. Uh, Jack, uh, are you here this morning? Jack Largent, the Southwest uh, Director for OMF in the United States. And Jack will be here to answer questions. And also, there's free literature and books for sale after the chapel this morning. Let me just run over a few for you. Some of you may seriously be praying about missionary service. And uh, Dan Bacon's book, Who Me? A Missionary, could be helpful to you in your pursuit. Also another book, When God Guides. And a lot of us are concerned about what God wants to do in my life. What are some principles, biblical principles, to know God's will for my life? Here is a book that will be helpful. The first chapter, Principles of Divine Guidance, God's Guidance in Our Lives, and then a lot of illustrations young people who were led by the Lord into different areas of his service. Pauline Hamilton has written a biography here entitled To a Different Drum. She was on the way to suicide when God stopped her. He changed her life, went on to complete a PhD in physiology and then on not to the rat race in America, but God called her to march to a different drum. She went to China, later to Taiwan, where she worked among juvenile delinquents, and God used her in a remarkable way to see their lives transformed. Pauline Hamilton's book will be a real challenge. What brought a physiology PhD to work with delinquent boys? 
Why had Pauline Hamilton chosen to march to a different drum from her contemporaries to experience danger and hardship in China and Taiwan rather than security and prosperity in the USA? Only because the God who had saved her from suicide and given meaning to her life had called. And as she obeyed, she found him faithful beyond all expectation. There's a book for you. Some of you have read Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret and have been blessed by it. Others of you have a treat in store. Spiritual uh, Secret is a book that will provide spiritual principles for daily living, not only a hundred years ago, but today and as we move toward the end of the 20th century. Some may be interested in a little tract here that describes God's faithful to us, faithfulness to our family during World War II. When I was in high school in China, the Sino-Japanese War was on, our family was separated for five and a half years. And uh, three of those years, my two sisters, a brother and I, spent in a Japanese concentration camp. We were not with our parents, but God gave us somebody, Eric Little, hero of Chariots of Fire fame, was in that camp. And he really became a surrogate father to us. God's faithfulness. My mother was sustained during that period of five and a half years of separation by the promise of the Lord. Matthew 6. 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But there was a pastor in the East who put it this way. If you take care of the things that are dear to God, God will take care of those who are dear to you. He will not forsake my children. Some of you are interested in China. China from a Christian perspective. And I want to be talking more about that. A brochure you're free to pick up afterwards. Leslie Francis, who has visited your campus, has written a book entitled Winds of Change in China. will give you some insight into some of the changes that are taking place among young people after the Cultural Revolution. What's happening there today? What are the opportunities for service? How can I prepare for that service? Winds of Change in China. The latest Christian novel on China, Gold Fears No Fire. It's done in novel form, not because it's not true, but because if you identified people and places, you could implicate them. And our Christian brothers and sisters in China have suffered enough. This book will give you an authentic picture of the situation in China from 1950 right on up through 1980. Of Christian family and what they experienced. And finally, David Aidney's classic book, China, The Church's Long March. If you're really serious about ministry in China, here's a book that will not only show you the church in China, but also lessons that we can learn from that church. David Aidney's book, China, The Church's Long March. All of us are familiar with the story of David and Goliath. And those words of the giant when he said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. The challenge of the giant. Would you pray with me please? Open our eyes Lord, that we may see wonderful things from your word in Christ's name. Amen. You and I today are faced with spiritual warfare. 
and it's serious. And any Christian who means to live for Christ will be involved in spiritual warfare. I believe there are some lessons that we can learn from David from this passage of scripture. He was tested as he moved forward in response to the challenge of the giants. And you will be tested as well. If you turn to the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel, you'll remember the account there. The Philistine armies encamped on one side and the children of Israel encamped on the other side. And then into that picture, a young man walks. He was not part of the army. He was not part of the drama there. David comes at the order of his father to see his brothers, to bring them some food and to inquire of their well-being. There are three things that I would like to quickly just lift for you here. First of all, the challenge from his own family. You'll remember that when he heard Goliath's booming voice across the valley, David began to ask, who is this man? How dare he defy the armies of the living God? What will be the prize for the one who eliminates this threat to our nation? And his brother Eliab spoke up, and it was not exactly a complimentary statement. I know what's brought you here, curiosity. You are totally irresponsible. You ought to be back there at home taking care of the sheep. You know, as I know, that that was an incorrect evaluation. It was a wrong judgment, utterly wrong. David, in fact, had already been in the palace playing for the king during those moments when his spirit was troubled by an evil spirit. And yet he could go home from the palace and with humility work in the fields. You and I have an opportunity for education, opportunities that perhaps your parents never had. How will we respond? Will we grow proud? Will we become indifferent? Will we be unable to dirty our hands with work? David was one with humility who went back to the fields. And then when his dad gave him a job to do, he was prepared to do it. And he obeyed. And not only so, with full responsibility, he committed the flocks to the, the shepherds there. And he obeyed his father's order and went to the front lines. Dangerous though that assignment was. And for you, as you follow Christ, you may find that the first test also comes from your home. Misunderstanding, misrepresentation, wrong judgment. And it may be very easy to become discouraged or to feel maybe God hasn't called me. Maybe God doesn't want to do something through me. David didn't. He turned quietly away. And rather than challenge his brother, he paid no attention to a wrong judgment that must have hurt him very deeply. Secondly, the challenge and test that came to David from Saul. He was now brought to the king. This man, head and shoulders above everybody else. And standing before the king, Saul said to him two things. You're young and you're inexperienced. You can't take on this challenge. 
David did not challenge the first statement, he was young. He couldn't deny the fact. But he challenged the statement that he was inexperienced. What did he say? He said, sir, God has already enabled me to deliver my flock from the bear and the lion. I was prepared to risk my life for a lamb in the flock and I'm prepared to risk my life and trust God for a lamb or for the nation my nation, my people I'm not inexperienced Saul tried to have him trust in the might of uh, human equipment and David said sorry I'm not practiced, I'm not trained, I'm not skilled in the use of that let me use what I've, I'm accustomed to and what God has enabled me to use in victory before. And it may be that there are people that look down on you and say you're too young. You can't go on to the street meeting and witness for Christ. You're not theologically trained. You haven't had a lot of experience. Don't let them fool you. You may be young, but early on you can experience God's faithfulness and his power. This year is the 180th anniversary of the first Protestant missionary to China. A young man by the name of Robert Morrison. He was on the docks, ready to board the ship to go to China. And somebody saw him there and said, where are you going? And he replied, I'm going to China. To do what? Well, he said, I'm going as a missionary. And the fellow began to laugh. And he said, and do you think you can influence that great and ancient empire? And Robert Morrison, the young man that he was, stood with his shoulders square and looked the man in the face and he said, No, sir, but God can. And in 12 short years, Robert Morrison not only mastered the Chinese language over incredible opposition, he also compiled the first Chinese-English dictionary and he completed the translation of the entire word of God in the Chinese language. It was the first time it had ever been done. For a thousand years, missionaries had gone to China, not Protestant missionaries, the Nestorians way back in the 7th century, the Franciscans in the 13th century, the Jesuits in the 16th century, but never had the entire word of God been translated into the Chinese language. Now, after 12 arduous years, the job was finished. Don't let anybody fool you that because you're young, God can't use you. He can use you right here on the campus of Master's College. And he wants to use you in the days ahead. And so David moved from the king to his third challenge. And he stood before Goliath. And Goliath was roaring mad. You demean me by sending a lad out. Do you think I'm a dog? You remember. And I just want to highlight for you David's motivation. Two things. You know, he had spoken to the king of the armies of the living God. And when you look at the armies of Israel there, you'll think that there wasn't very much of an army. It was disheveled, dispirited. It was a disaster. How in the world could anybody conceive of that as the army of the living God? And yet David had spiritual insight. He knew that these people stood for God. And although they might be divided, they might be weak. God could use them if only they would let him. 
And sometimes when we look at the church, we may be discouraged. We may see leaders who are not leading as Saul was not. We may see other people who are not setting an example as they ought to. We may see Christians who are totally indifferent to the spiritual needs of the world in which we're living. But if you and I, like David, can see that we're not talking about a human organization when we look at the church. We're talking about that body that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so David said, this man has defied the armies of the living God. And before Goliath, you see his motivation. What does he say? There in verse 46, he gives to the, the giant his first motivation. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I'm here today not for David, not for the exaltation of David's name. Or the name of Jesse and our family. Or the tribe of Judah. Or even Saul and Israel. I don't want them to know Israel. I want them to know God and that there's a God in Israel. And I submit to you young people that that is basic, right, biblical motivation. If you're out for the exaltation of yourself, forget it. Don't consider missionary service. But if you're really burning to exalt the name of Jesus Christ, as John the Baptist was, and he could say to his disciples who were discouraged because the following was dwindling and they were moving to Jesus. And John says, I told you from the beginning that this is the way it's going to be. You see, he must increase, but I must decrease. And so David's motivation was that the world... Isn't it thrilling? Here's a young person that the king has just said, you're too young, you're inexperienced. And yet he's prepared to stand on the, uh, there on, on the platform of history and to say to, to the giant, I want the world to see what is happening. And the world to know that there is a living God. His second motivation, it was for his own people. And you see it in the next verse, verse 47. That all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. For the battle is the Lord's. He not only wanted a lesson for the world, he wanted a lesson for his own people. To realize that God is faithful. And that a man who is equipped by the spirit of the living God is more powerful than any atomic or hydrogen bomb. The world has as yet to see any more powerful person than one who is equipped with the spirit of the living God. And you know the story. Thank God that people with the spirit of David went to China. Robert Morrison, Hudson Taylor and others. Hudson Taylor was not 21 when he reached China. Most mission boards wouldn't accept him today. He's too young, inexperienced, but there he goes to China with a burden for a people, knowing that one million people were going out into eternity every month without Christ. He mastered the language. And friends, one of my concerns today is there's so much enthusiasm for short term you know, if Robert Morrison had gone for the short term, the Bible would never have been translated. 
Short term may help you to get a perspective, but some of us have got to get a focus on long term and commitment that will last so that we can really do something. You see, Jesus is calling for builders. And you don't just build in a day. You don't disciple in a day. Hudson Taylor sought to master the language. He wanted to identify with the people. He dressed like they did. And some of the English people in the Shanghai community were incensed that this young fellow would identify with the Chinese in such a way. Demeaning to, the, to an English gentleman to wear a Chinese uh, uh, robe and to have a, a, a pigtail, a queue, like the Chinese wore in that day. But Hudson Taylor realized that by identifying with the people, he was opening a door to their hearts and to the reception of the gospel. And he didn't mind so much what the community said and how they ran him down. What he was concerned about was how he could win Chinese to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know what has happened? I don't mean to suggest at all that it's only Hudson Taylor. That's totally wrong. Robert Morrison and hundreds, thousands of missionaries have gone to China. And beyond that, thousands and thousands of Chinese Christians have, uh, have arisen and been raised up by the Lord to witness. In 1949, there were approximately one million Christians in all of China. Do you know, it will boggle your mind to know that today there are more Christians in China than there are Communist Party members. 50 million Christians in China today, from 1 million in 49 to 50 million. Perhaps I can just review for you, as I did at the seminary yesterday morning, some of the factors that have contributed to that growth. First of all, you've got to see the true nature of God. He is utterly faithful and He is sovereign. Mao Zedong was not on the throne, God was on the throne. And he is faithful. He promised that he would not leave his own. So first of all, you've got to focus in on the true nature of God. Secondly, you've got to understand the true nature of the church. It is not a building. We talk about going to the church. Really what we mean is we're going to meet with the church, God's people. The building is where the church meets. The building is not the church. And buildings were destroyed. They were made into factories. They were made into dormitories. They were made into warehouses. But that isn't the church. The church is that body of believers who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And as you and I have experienced that redeeming, that, re that revolution, that transformation as Paul described. If any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. And that's what's been happening. That's the church in China today. What are some lessons we can learn from them? The third one, not only the nature of God and the nature of the church, but, you know, the Word of God, the Bible, has been utterly foundational for them. During the Cultural Revolution, when the Red Guard was running rampage through the streets of the cities, they came to one city, Xiamen, and they burned Bibles for three days and three nights. Christian literature was destroyed. What happens when the church is deprived of the Word of God? Do you know what our brothers and sisters in China did? They would find somebody with a copy of the Scriptures. 
they would ask if they could borrow it and quietly they would take it home and some of them late into the night often with a little oil lamp or a candle would copy out portions of scripture so that they could return the Bible to the friend but have the hand copied edition of the Bible and some of them copied the whole Bible you try copying Genesis 1 or Matthew 1 this afternoon you see Robert Morrison laid the foundation the Nestorians came and they left and there wasn't much left when they went the Franciscans came and that effort ended the Jesuits came and that effort ended why has the church grown this fourth time that the gospel has penetrated to the heart of China why because the Word of God has been the foundation and I long this morning that you like David in preparing to meet the challenge of the Giants will really build your life on the Word of God just as Jesus told there in the seventh chapter of Matthew those two builders one heard but he didn't follow he was like a person building on the sand the other heard and he did follow and Jesus said he's the kind of person that built on the rock and though the winds came and the rain beat and the waters flooded that house stood the Word of God Secondly, our brothers and sisters in China have been prepared to suffer for the Lord. Not only they've built their faith on the Word of God, but they've also been prepared to suffer for their faith, and they've suffered incredibly. I haven't time to share with you this morning illustrations of that suffering, but for the name of Christ, they have suffered incredibly. One brother was being struggled against. He was marching down the street with that kind of dunce hat on and a, and a, a wooden uh, pendulum hanging down here with his crime written on it. And he had to shout as he walked down the street, I'm being struggled against because I'm a Christian. And what happened? Other Christians along the road, they began to say, I'm a Christian and I've been struggled against. And one after another broke from the people that were scoffing along the side of the streets and lined up behind this person and began to march after him and shout, I'm being struggled against because I'm a Christian. Some were imprisoned for 23 years. Another lesson we can learn is the power of prayer. I heard of a sister, a former student of my parents, who prayed for the wife of a communist cadre, communist officer. The woman had been demented for 18 years. And that Christian sister, although she had been persecuted by the communists and confronted with all kinds of, of very difficult situations, she took that woman into her home. She said, I'll take care of your wife, sir. You can go on home. And this Christian sister took the woman into her home. She bathed her and clothed her. She prayed for her. She fed her. She loved her. And you know, before one month was up, that woman was completely restored. Emotionally, physically, and above all spiritually. She became a new creature in Christ Jesus. The power of prayer. Lay witness has been really important. Another lesson we can learn. Our brothers and sisters in China have not had missionaries there for more than 30 years. Nearly 40 years now. Missionaries expelled. It's a bit humbling to see what God has done in China without a single missionary. 
Many times the pastors have been forced into secular employment. They've been in prison. They've been in communes in hard labor. The church would have gone down the tubes if it had not been for lay people who stood up and say, wait a minute, witnessing is our job. It's not the job of the missionaries and the job of the pastors. It's our job. And lay people stood up and they, and they began fearlessly to witness for Christ. One fellow was sent off to a commune. Beastly place it was. A lot of his friends were commiserating with him. And when he came back, they said, poor fellow. He said, nothing of the sort. Don't you know that that commune, when I went there, didn't have a single Christian? And today, there's a body of believers and a growing body of believers there. You see, he said, the Lord sent me as a missionary. No Western missionaries, but he said, the Lord sent me as a missionary to that commune. Lay witness has been a profoundly important factor in the growth of the church in China. The last lesson that I'd like to mention is love in community. Love in community. Our brothers and sisters have demonstrated by their lives a powerful witness. You see, today in China, among the young people, there's a deep sense of disillusionment about communism. And it is into that spiritual vacuum that Christians who now know how to love each other and in a practical way to build each other up, to care for each other, have been reaching their nation for Christ. What can you and I do? We can pray. We can support radio broadcast, Christian literature. But it's also possible for people to go to China today. Some as tourists and in a quiet, sensitive way. Maybe to witness to your tour guide. Or you meet somebody who wants to speak English with you on the street. And you can begin to converse and simply in a quiet way. Not as a street meeting. You'd be shipped out of China if you tried to hold a street meeting there. You can do it here in Los Angeles but not in China. But in a quiet, one-on-one -on -one way, you can witness. Some are going as teachers today and are having a powerful effect as a teacher of English on university campuses all over China, as far away as Urumqi, other cities. They're not going as a missionary, but they're going as a teacher because China needs English teachers. But they're a Christian English teacher. And going on the campus, talking with students, they have an opportunity to witness for Christ. There are people who are going as scientists, people who are skilled in computer, in technology, in engineering, in agriculture, in law, in accounting, you name it. The Ch China today has its policy of four modernizations and they mean to move forward as a nation. That day of closed doors to the outside world is past and an opening has come. How will the church respond? There is one other way you can reach China. Many Chinese students and scholars are coming to this country. With a friendship ministry, you can reach out to them and let them know that you love them as a person. And quietly, in a sympathetic and an understanding way, in a sensitive way, lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. Young people, how will you respond to the challenge of the giants today? David in his day met opposition in the family. He met opposition from the leadership of his country. He met opposition from the enemy. 
And Satan will use everything in his power to stop you from moving forward effectively in spiritual warfare. He'll try to stop you right on the campus of Master's College. He'll use every means at his disposal. But look, if the Lord is with us, who can be against us? You and I are engaged in spiritual warfare. Let's walk with Jesus Christ and walk in his victory. Shall we pray?